KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. Welcome to the KPBS Summer Music Series. In this episode... We'll talk to legendary MC5 guitarist Wayne Kramer about rising to fame in the wake of the 1967 Detroit riots. And we'll hear from San Diego's own Scrapes, an experimental electronic duo that embraces chaos through improvisation to create some truly original music. That's next. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Welcome to the KPBS Summer Music Series, San Diego's own music discovery podcast that features encore presentations of our best in-studio performances and interviews, celebrating our diverse music scene and beyond. I'm your host, Kurt Koenig. 50 years ago, Wayne Kramer and his band, The Motor City Five, released their debut album, Kick Out the Jams, high-energy rock and roll that provided the soundtrack to a youth movement of social and political revolution. But rock stardom turned out to be a mixed bag for guitarist Wayne Kramer. Guns, drugs, and police confrontations led to addiction and prison. After his share of hard time and hard times, Wayne Kramer got back on the road with a new version of MC5 and a new memoir, The Hard Stuff. Dope, Crime, The MC5, and My Life of Impossibilities. Uh, there's nothing that I consciously remember that I, I won't talk about. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if I remember it, I'll talk about it. And so do you remember your first time just being turned on to music or listening to music before being a musician? Sure. Yeah. Detroit in 1958 was a boom town. The auto factories were going 24-7. Um, good, good union jobs were available. Uh, and there was a sense that uh, all things were possible. Uh, if you needed it built, we could build it in Detroit. Um, and the, the future was wide open. Um, and in this atmosphere, music was ubiquitous. Uh, you heard it everywhere. It, it was on the car radio. We had a, a handful of radio stations that were all very competitive and played the hits of the day. We had uh, R&B stations and blues stations and country music stations and and uh, classical music stations. So uh, music was part of everyday life. And um, in my neighborhood, um, I a friend of mine had a couple of records, and one was uh, Ready Teddy by Little Richard. And what I heard in that in that record 
um, was dramatic and compelling and exotic. I, you know, Little Richard's fervor and his singing and, you know, screaming and the, the driving rhythm of that band with the great Earl Palmer on drums um, was completely foreign to my, you know, Converse sneaker-wearing all-American kid <laughs> upbringing, you know, at, at age 10. And uh, I started to discover there was something going on with music that didn't exist in any other area of my life. It was speaking to me as if it was in a secret code. Jumping ahead here to... 1967, Motor City was on fire, literally. The Detroit race riots left 43 people dead, over 1,000 injured, and more than 2,000 buildings destroyed. Leading up to your legendary album, Kick Out the Jams, set the scene for us. What was MC5 up to? We were trying hard to um, put a, a, a performance together. It wasn't just about playing music. It was about blowing people away. <laughs> we, wanted, we wanted to mesmerize audiences. We wanted to, to, uh, to provide them with a cosmic experience um, that included, you know, driving rhythms and uh, danceable music, but that also had uh, great um, theatrical flair and costumes, and and uh, and we developed a kind of uh, almost Pentecostal um, atmosphere of of encouragement and connection with our audience, and we addressed our audience's concerns directly. It wasn't around the side. It was face-to-face. -face. You know, the people in the audience were concerned about the same things I was concerned about. The war in Vietnam, civil rights, the planet, police brutality, uh, outdated 50s sexual mores. You know, the, the, we felt the, uh, the adult generation was ruining everything, and it was our job to fix it. And you were very much involved in the community and... Uh just what was going on and building around you. How was the MC5 involved in the politics and youth movement of the time? In the 1960s, there was an unspoken agreement amongst all young people that our parents' generation were blowing it, that, that we couldn't justify this war in Vietnam. And I have no quarrel with the warriors, but I do have a quarrel with the policymakers. Um, it was an illegal uh, war. It was an undeclared war, and we couldn't justify it. Um, we had trouble with the idea that people of color didn't share the same rights as white people and certainly were not sharing in the prosperity of America. Um, we were concerned about the state of the planet, uh, the, the idea that we actually have an effect on our atmosphere and our water uh, became primary 
for us. We, were, we, we cared about these things, and it was clear that the big business and big industry didn't care about these things. They only cared about profit. And so we were, part, we were a whole generation, and the MC5 was part of that generation, and, and we were a voice for that generation. We knew, we knew our role in, in the fabric of society, and we know that um, democracy requires participation. It, you know, the framers were pretty bright in putting together this concept that if you disagree with government policy, it's incumbent on you to say something, to do something, certainly to exercise your, your democratic rights and responsibilities to vote. And everything we did was out of a sense of patriotism. And so with all the political aspects, performance aspects, and the genre blending of MC5, what was one of the peak musical experiences for you all as a band? Well, the, the, best, the best stuff that happened happened every week at the Grandy Ballroom, which was an old uh, 1930s-era dance ballroom. Pe- people used to go out and dance before radio and TV. <laughs> and uh, seven nights a week, people would go out and dance. It was a social function. Um, and we took it over with a friend of ours and started running concerts every weekend. And the MC5 was the house band. So we played with all, every band that was on tour in those days would come and play in Detroit and play at the Grandy. It was a fabulous venue. You could get 3,000 kids in it. And everyone was safe there. There was no alcohol. There was no fights. Uh, it wasn't like in a bar. This was young people and, and counterculture people. And, you know, you could smoke a little weed. Nobody really cared too much. It was, it was a fantastic atmosphere. So the the best stuff that happened happened weekend after weekend as the MC5 um, uh, refined its performance powers and our our you know the music became more complex and more compelling and and higher energy and we focused harder on on entertaining the people and and carrying a message and uh, uh, you know uh, there are certain nights in music where I've come to to believe that uh, it just doesn't get any better. You know, like this is a peak moment, and we had those a lot in those days. Regarding Detroit and and where you were making this music and this scene, um, it's the birthplace of Motown. Mm -hmm. Not just Motown, but also countless jazz legends like Milt Jackson, Ron Carter, Donald Byrd, and Yusef Latif. The Jones Brothers. Elvin Jones, yeah. A very long list. Oh, forever. And a huge uh, influence on bebop and hard bop genres. Yes, sir. Also, MC5 lead singer Rob Tyner took his name from McCoy Tyner, John Coltrane's piano player. That's true. Yeah, he he sure did. So can you just sum up how jazz influenced your guitar playing and the MC5 sound? By the time I was 19 years old, I was fairly accomplished at the guitar. I, I could play um, all the popular music of the day. I, I, could, I could reproduce what the British guitarists were doing, what George Harrison or Keith Richards was doing, and I was really interested in what Jeff Beck was doing, and, and I'm still interested in what Jeff Beck is doing. He's playing greater than he ever has. He's fantastic. Um, and I started to wonder 
where was my voice? What, you know, what was my contribution to the music? And so if I took my, my best Chuck Berry solo or, or if I imitated somebody else's solo and I played it as hard as I could and as fast as I could, then where do I go from there? Like, what's the next step? And I found the answer in the free jazz movement of the 60s and 70s, the musics of uh, Cecil Taylor and John Coltrane and Sun Ra and Albert Eiler. Um, all of a sudden, I heard musicians that were taking the music beyond Western musical, you know, 12-tone um, rhythmic concepts and Western harmonic concepts into a whole new area, whole new range of expression. And for me, that was the, the answer to the riddle. You know, this is where I want to go with the guitar. And, 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 and we kind of decided that as a band, we wanted to, to follow, follow their lead Try to try to catch up the sunrise. After three albums and hundreds of performances, MC5 eventually parted ways. As a 24-year-old, how did you make the transition from playing arenas in a large rock band to starting over? Um, the transition from playing arenas and, and big rock venues to starting over was a disaster. Uh, I was crushed uh, emotionally, spiritually, physically. Um, I'd lost my best friends, lost my way to make a living, lost my status in the community, and uh, it was a painful loss. You know, I, I, I don't mean to, to make it maudlin or melodramatic, but, you know, I was a young man, and, and I worked really hard to, to make the MC5 what it was, and, and to one day wake up and have it all go away was a terrible blow. Um, to me, and uh, really, uh, I think was painful. And and sadly, I discovered the pain-killing properties of Jack Daniels and heroin, and uh, that soothed the pain. And it worked very well. It was very dependable, except it had terrible side effects. And the side effects ultimately being, um, you know, sickness. Uh, poverty, homelessness, uh, and ultimately uh, a, a federal prison term. Um, so, you know, it took me to some very dark places. I did things that I'm not proud of. Um, I, I've hurt people and I've been hurt. And, uh, and it took me a long walk into the woods and it was a long walk back out of the woods. And yet, lucky for us, you're still here and you're sitting here now. How did you turn that around into a positive thing? I think I aged out 
We we have an expression, and in, in, uh, I work in the prisons, uh, helping prisoners rehabilitate and uh, violence prevention through our nonprofit jail guitar doors. And we notice that when men in prison hit around age fifty, they're done being gangsters, and they're done being tough guys, and they're done being hustlers. They just want to have a nice home and a wife and a fa- you know a little family and a job and and enjoy the simple pleasures of life and i think i reached a point when i was 50 that i knew i could not continue in the way i was going that all roads led to more pain and ultimately i i zeroed in on that this probably had something to do with my addiction and my alcoholism and uh, I reached out to some some brothers to help me, and they did. And they taught me a way to live where drinking and drugs weren't necessary every day. And uh, uh, it took a lot of work and took a lot of time. But, uh, you know, this year I'm coming up on 20 years clean and sober. And, wow, and, uh, and the benefits, my, I have just a... Just a spectacular life. I enjoy, I enjoy almost everything I do almost all the time. I have a great family. I have a good job. Uh, I'm here today talking with you and, and to all our mainline mellows out there in San Diego. <laughs> I got nothing to complain about these days. <laughs> and The Clash actually have a song about you and your experience that led to you being in prison in the federal, yeah, federal yeah, penitentiary yeah. called Jail Guitar Doors. Yeah. Can you tell us just briefly about, about that? While I was in prison, a new music style emerged, punk rock. And there was a band in England, very conscious band, The Clash. And uh, in a show of solidarity from some brothers across the sea, they wrote this tune called Jail Guitar Doors. Uh, with the the lyric, let me tell you about Wayne and his deals of cocaine. A little more every day. Hold for a friend till the band do well, but the DEA locked him away. <laughs> clang, clang, go the jail guitar doors. And I thought this was a terrific um, gesture on their part and really appreciated it. And then um, didn't think much more of it for about 30 years. And uh, finally ran into Billy Bragg one night. We were playing a concert together, and I was talking about justice reform and uh, and uh, prison reform. And he told me he had launched an independent initiative in England to provide instruments for prisoner rehabilitation. And I thought, this is a great idea. You're British. You're doing it in Her Majesty's prisons. But I'm an American, and I'm an American returned citizen. I, I'm an ex-offender. Uh, ex-convict, as we used to say. Uh, and uh, I'm also a musician. And uh, I, I need to do something to mitigate the damage being done by hyper-incarceration in America. And so I'm going to take this on for America. And that was about 10 years ago now. Today our instruments are in over 120 American prisons. Uh, we run songwriting workshop programs across the country, here in San Diego, out at the Donovan State Prison, we run a program there um, in the county jail here in San Diego, um, in the L.A. County Jail, and uh, California Department of Corrections. We're on 10 different prison yards in the CDCR. 
and all across the country, in, in Detroit, in, at Rikers Island in New York, up in Massachusetts, down in Texas. And we are enjoying uh, um, a, a uh, fruitful expansion. We, we've been blessed to become friends with the great Dr. Bronner's Corporation, and uh, they uh, support our work, and uh, we really appreciate it, and we've been able to accomplish a great deal um, to see people go through a, a fundamental change in personality. You know, education is important, but it takes a change of heart. Um, and we know that art is one of the few things that reach people on a deep enough level to bring about that change of heart. You know, that I can, I can put an instrument in a prisoner's hand and task him with telling his story in a song. And the process of doing that work is transformative. He starts to see, he or she starts to see that they actually have something of positive to contribute to the world, something of beauty, something enjoyable, maybe sometimes for the first time in their entire life. And that's the beginning of the hard work of rehabilitation. It also serves to reduce violence in prisons. I've heard it a hundred times where captains and lieutenants, you know, hardline corrections officers will tell us that we brought the guitars on the yard, launched a program, and violence went down on the yard. People have something positive to look forward to. Wow. So in all the ways that you've, positive ways you've influenced the world and, and music, MC5 is often cited as the favorite band of other famous bands, like Sonic Youth, Motorhead, Raging Against the Machine the Ramones, and of course, The Clash. MC5 was on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine, nominated to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame three times, and you've been named by Rolling Stone magazine as one of the 100 greatest guitarists in rock. So you've got nothing left to prove. <laughs> Why are you back on the road? Because I love what I do, and, and the idea that I created, helped create this music 50 years ago um, and it's more relevant today than it's ever been. Um, you know, I wondered for a while, would the music hold up? You know, it's 50 years. That's half a century. You know, styles come and change and fashions change. And the first show we did this summer out in, um, in Scandinavia, by the second song, we had won the crowd over. They understood exactly what we were doing, that we were bringing the rock. And was this with the new lineup, the MC50? Yes, this was with MC50. Can you tell us a little bit about that lineup? My fellows, uh, Rob Tyner, Fred Smith, and Michael Davis died. Drummer Dennis Machine Gun Thompson is still alive, but uh, he's not touring. Uh, he may do a couple shows with us. I don't know. I'm leaving that up to him to decide. But I was able to call some good friends up, uh, guys like Kim Thile, the great uh, Soundgarden guitarist, uh, Billy Gould, Faith No More's bassist, um, the wonderful Brendan Canty from Fugazi on drums, and our secret weapon, Marcus Durant uh, from Zen Gorilla. And uh, the thing about these guys, they are all... Uh, good brothers, if you know what I mean. They're good traveling companions. They're all um, whole in their own psyches, you know. They're, there's no prima donnas or ego trippers. They're intellectually curious. They have fantastic sense of humor. 
Um, so we enjoy each other's company, which is the most important thing, touring. Um, and, and each of them uh, have their own personal connection to the music of the MC5 apart from their friendship with me. At a certain point in each of their lives, they discovered the MC5 and they heard something in the message and the music of the MC5 that was meaningful to them, that they incorporated into their own journey and their own music and their own bands. And so today, the fact that we can play this music together, uh, I think it's a lot more than just um, being hired for a job because they've internalized the message of the MC5 and and um, they're all playing at the peak of their skills, but they're not cynical. <laughs> you know, they're not, they're, nobody phones it in. Playing well is important to everybody every night. And they, they get a lot out of it and they put a lot into it. So for me, it just makes it, you know, heaven on earth. I, I can go out and act like a fool all night and jump around <laughs> and have a ball and play my guitar with guys that I enjoy doing it with and celebrate this music that's, that's held up um, amazingly well for 50 years. Yeah, and musicians that have been influenced by MC5 and carried the torch and made their own unique sound from it. That's, so that's right. It's got to feel yeah. good to, to be a part of that and see oh, that man. happen. It's, it, it, listen, it's, a, it's an unasked for and maybe an undeserved gift, but it's a gift I accept. Wayne Kramer, thank you so much for joining us. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Next up, Harnessing Chaos Through Improvisation. We talk with San Diego's own Scrapes. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota Dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome back to the KPBS Summer Music Series. We just heard from Wayne Kramer about how MC5 was influenced by bebop and the frenetic energy of jazz. Well, our next guests turn that same inspiration into something completely different. Scrapes brings life to machine music by destroying sound and creating a wildly unique musical energy. Here's Midday Edition's Jade Hindman. Raw expression and artistic freedom is rare in this world where everything from music to social media is monetized and music untouched by the gears of capitalism left to the purest form of creativity is hard to find. But if you find it, what would that sound like? Well, Scrapes is a legendary experimental electronic duo who create on their own terms. You can't find their music on traditional streaming platforms, and they don't play traditional instruments. Their live shows are a chaotic explosion of chopped break beats and alien noise that push the speakers within an inch of their life. Scrapes joins us today, but let's begin with their song, Sabacus.
You can definitely hear the jazz behind the chaos there. That is Scrapes with Sabacus. And I want to introduce Scrapes, Tension, a.k.a. John Calzo, and Psycho Pop, a.k.a. David Lampley. Thanks for joining us on the KPBS Summer Music Series. Oh, thank you so thanks, much. Thanks for having us on. So first question, how did you meet and start Scrapes? We met in high school. We had mutual friends that were in the music also. David was uh, at the time producing like hip hop stuff and, and rapping and I was DJing and I did some scratches for his album and we just connected through music and had like the same wavelength of creating crazy uh, sounds and chaos stuff. <laughs> so all this, this chaotic sound, I mean, what is your process? Just whatever we could find that could plug into the amplifiers and amplified noise pretty much. It's just all freestyle uh, jamming out. It's like free jazz, basically. Hmm. So what instruments do you use to make your sounds? Um, I use a little synthesizer. I have a couple synthesizers and a lot of effects and found electronic things that can be plugged in or amplified. Yeah, I, I use modular synthesizers, samplers, mostly just capture sound and try to chop up the sounds to yeah. create rhythms and noise. Field recordings, reel-to-reels, tape decks, old records. Nice. I mean, it's, it's, you use a, this process called circuit bending. I mean, tell me about that. Yeah, circuit bending is just taking like any instrument, toy, anything that makes sound that's battery powered or electronic powered, but I just open it up and just poke around in the inside of it and see if it alters the sound, makes anything sound crazy and destroy the original sound. live shows like um, improvisational improv aggressive. yeah sometimes like some people don't understand it you know just because we're just going up there just feeding off of uh the day the, the surroundings day. Yeah. the show yeah usually it's just like a big wall of sound going on the whole time yeah. it's just like yeah. yeah we just make a wall of sound until something breaks through then we go off of it our friend Sumarch, this guy Ganja Sufi, he always says it's like scaring someone and then giving a hug and telling them it's all right, then pushing them off you, and then like making them laugh, then then you're like friends after the show. I don't know, all sorts of different feelings, I guess. Hmm. What are your roles? What specific instruments do you play? What sounds are each of you responsible for? Me, uh, I mostly do mostly all the percussion duties and some of the ambient noise stuff going on. I mostly just use my my modular system for that. And um, Psychopop, David uses his synth keyboards. So it's mostly just like drums and synth the whole time. Yeah, like yeah. a lot of bass sounds on there. And yeah. 
very minimal, but like it sounds heavy. Where do you get these crazy sounds? Sometimes we use a tape loop on a reel-to-reel. -reel. I have like a machine that's for, to take a hearing test and it makes all these crazy sounds out of it. We'll throw some delay and some distortion on it. Yeah. We even it's like- It's kind of different every yeah, time. Just, yeah, everything's different every time we perform. It's like sometimes we'll take like little tape decks or like um, a little radio, a little speak and spell or whatever, you know, yeah. or a Game Boy. Game Boy. <laughs> yeah. Anything. Yeah. So, so how do people respond to your music? I think people were scared at first, but it seems like people through the years got the idea we're trying to do, and uh, hopefully they're feeling it. But it's all right if they don't. Yeah, this is what we do. Yeah, we just have fun every time yeah. we play. Yeah, so. we play shows, and we don't even look up. Like, <laughs> we're just we look up and we'll mess up because we're just like in the zone. <laughs> so what? How does that? How does that work? How does this? The sound man? They, he doesn't even get it right. The sound guy probably hates us. <laughs> Usually they don't get it. So we used to just bring our own sound because they'd always turn us down and we're turning up and they think we're going to burn the sound system out. Yeah. But yeah, we yeah. just bring our own. So if we break it, I'm not mad. I'm like, I feel like I won or something <laughs> if I burn the speaker out. <laughs> we played a show one time and we knocked the lights out of the ceiling. imagine that like the crowd's reaction is different too like you've toured Europe many times I mean how's the crowd reaction different there than from here in the U.S. Some of our shows in Europe I feel like people are dancing and moving and just hanging on to every snare and bass line. In America it seems like they're more just observing and trying to see what we're doing studying or something well like in other countries they don't really stare too much at, the, at our equipment. They're just mostly just feeling the vibe of the music, yeah. dancing around or having yeah. a good time. Yeah, it's really cool to watch. With that, I want to take a listen to Heavy Machinery.
Wow. So that's a very lively. So those overseas audiences, they're up on two feet dancing when that's going on. Yeah, usually like the energy gets a lot. It gets people are swaying and like people go to the spots to just get loose. It's a real big honor to be a part of that, you know? So what's it like being on stage and, and improvising your music? It's kind of free. I'm, maybe there's a little bit of pressure, but we don't really have an expectation. We just want to get loud and kind of abrasive and hear some heavy drums. And we're just kind of locked in the zone. And if people are feeling it, that's like really yeah. special. But if people walk away, it's it's cool. It's not for everybody. Yeah. As long as the sound system sounds good, we'll, we'll have a good time on stage. Yeah, exactly. That's all that counts. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I mean, you know, cause it's not like you've you've practiced, you know, I mean, this is just like, it's raw when you're up on stage. And so how much does the audience's reaction um, impact you? Oh, yeah. If, if the audience is really feeling it, then. Yeah, then we, it's like we can't stop playing. Yeah. When everyone, everything's going perfect and the audience is like the energy's so high that. We could just like pause and everyone will pause and then we'll start playing again. It's just having that control is yeah, it feels like crazy we, having yeah. that control of the energy. It feels like, yeah, we just become like one with the audience. With your do-it-yourself approach and the way you create music and the moment and never repeat the same thing, what is it about that as an artist that's really just kept you going for over two decades? I guess it just never gets old. There's always something like a different rhythm or... We also like create like our own records, lathe cut records. So we also just try to find new ways of um, designing those records too, whether it's like homemade picture disc records or like weird shapes. So yeah. that's what kind of makes it more exciting for us as well. Because we're also, we're just like... We just, yeah, I feel like we're just artists. Like we'll make our own T-shirts, our own record covers, our own tapes, uh, our own flyers, book our own shows. We just have control over every part of the process. And I don't know how many other people could say they do that. I feel like we're pure artists and it feels good to be able to say that. I feel like I can honestly say that. I've been speaking with Scrapes members Tension and Psychopop. Thank you both for joining me. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, good time. Thanks for listening to the KPBS Summer Music Series. To catch a new episode every two weeks, subscribe wherever you get podcasts. And for performance videos and more great artists, visit kpbs.org slash summer music series. John Decker is Interim Associate General Manager of Content, Lisa Jane Morissette, Operations Manager, and Megan Burke is Senior Producer. I'm Kurt Conan.
KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com.